All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Eaglebert Church. It's really good to have you with us today. If you're at one of our campuses meeting around the Twin Cities right now, a welcome to you. Uh, if you're watching this message online someplace, I was just talking to someone recently, and they said, our son is in the Air Force, and this is his connection to church. He watches every week online. I want to thank those of you that serve our country and for those of you that are tuned in with us right now. And speaking of which, a couple weeks ago, our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, really raised a challenge for us as a church and said, what if we could put church online, both the music and the message? What would that do to reach people for Christ? And we said that in order to pull that off, it would cost us about $5 million, which is a huge number to raise in a short period of time. But I wanted to give you an update on this. And if you're brand new to our church, so if you've started coming in the last couple weeks, you can just totally relax on this part. This isn't you know, an ask for you at all. Uh, for those of you that have given to this already, a huge thank you to you. But for those of you who haven't had a chance to give, just want to give you an update on where we're at. We have so far raised $2.3 million in just a short few weeks period of time. That is an absolutely incredible number, but we've also got some ways to go. So we've got $2.7 million to go to reach this goal of five. And 2.7 sounds like a lot, but we really think that with year-end giving, we could potentially still get there. And I know you are all inundated with requests for year-end gifts from different organizations, but I just want to ask, what else could you give to that will have such an eternal impact in a person's life? See, the reason why we want to put our church services online, both music and message, it's for that 18-year-old who goes off to college. And he goes off to North Dakota or Duluth, and he doesn't find a church that he connects to, and his parents are going, hey, we really want you to stay connected to God. Here's an online church experience, worship and message. It's for a small town. We've had small towns contact us recently, many of them, and say, we just don't have a great church in our town. But if we could show the Eagle Brook services, worship and message, we could start inviting our friends and we could reach this whole town for Christ. Imagine the impact that would make in the five-state area, which is filled with small towns like that. This is for the person who, for whatever reason, can't make it to church. Maybe they're on vacation, maybe they've moved to a different state, maybe they're physically unable to come. But we want to provide it and worship experience for them to stay connected to God in their life. And so as you're considering where to give your year-end gifts, we would just humbly ask that you would consider Eagle Brook Church and what an impact that this could make, not just for a person's earth and their life here and now, but for their whole eternity, that we could reach thousands of people with Christ for Christ if we do this. So want to consider that. If you want to give to that, you can go on our website. There's a link to give, and then you just hit the little drop-down box. It says online church. You can also give in the lobby of your campus. There's a giving box. You just write a check, put it in the envelope, drop it in. It's a very secure way to do that as well. All right, we are in the fourth week of a series called What Keeps You Up at Night because a lot of us aren't sleeping all that well. In fact, I read a recent study that says that 48% of Americans don't sleep that well at night because of all the stress in their life. Number one stress point, job pressure and work overload, which is why today's message is titled, Too Much to Do. Some of us are just stressed out right now because we simply have too much to do. We are running on empty. Several years ago, our family took a vacation to the Wisconsin Dells, and as I was packing up in the morning to head home, I was down in the parking lot loading up our van when I kept hearing this car running. I thought it was the car next to mine, so I peeked in thinking that the guy was about to back up, but it was weird because there was nobody in that car. So I went back up, got some more luggage, brought it back down, and I could still hear this car running. So now I'm going, who's the nitwit 
that left their car running and unattended in the parking lot. And that's when I realized it wasn't the car next to mine that was running. It was my car. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, you're the person who left the car running. No, no, no. This story is way better than that. My wife, the night before, had gone and gotten a pizza. And in her rush to get upstairs before the pizza got cold, and she had all kinds of things in her hands, she accidentally left our car running. That was at 6 o'clock at night. I was loading up the car at 10 o'clock the next morning. Our car had been running for 16 straight hours. Now, at first, I was just grateful that nobody drove off with the car, right? It was right there for the taking. Somebody wanted a slightly used Toyota Sienna Swagger Wagon. There you go. You could have had it. But after the relief of that wore off, I looked at the little computer screen, and it said zero miles till empty. So I turned to my two oldest sons, who were eight and five at the time. I said, get ready to push. Gave it a little bit of gas, backed up, coasted over this hill across the street to a gas station, literally running on fumes. Unfortunately, that's not a bad analogy for how many of us live our lives. For example, I was writing down recently all the things that I had on my to-do list. I had to call the pest control company because we had some mice getting in in the basement. I had to call the garage door company because our garage door had broken. I needed to call the sprinkler guy to have my sprinkler system blown out for the winter. I needed to get all the kids' hats and gloves out of the closet and get them to try those on to see what fit for this year. I needed to make sure we ordered Christmas presents early so we didn't have a repeat of last year where gifts were showing up on December 27th. And then we needed to make sure the kids were making their lunches and that Hudson was practicing his piano. And that was just our home to-do list. During that same period of time, I had three messages to write for four weekends. I was teaching a class at Northwestern College and I was coaching two basketball teams. Now some of you are going, are you qualified to give this message? And you're right, I probably should be sitting and listening to this one. But here's the problem. So many of us are running on empty. We wake up in the morning, we shower, we get to work, we run a few errands, we eat some cereal on the way out the door to get the kids to practice, and then we crash in front of a TV or computer before bed. Wake up the next morning, rinse, and repeat. Now, you can do that for a little while, but pretty soon your emotional tank is going to be empty and you are going to be running on fumes. My car could run for 16 straight hours, but eventually it needed to be filled back up again. In the same way, you can run for about 16 straight hours, but then you better find a way to get filled back up again. In fact, let me ask you, how many of us here today would say, I'm just running on empty? I mean, I came to church today and I feel like I am running on empty. Don't raise any hands, but you would say, you know what, I am stressed I am so tired and overwhelmed in my life. I never feel like I have enough time to get everything done that I need to get done. I am overwhelmed and empty right now. Your soul was never made to run on empty. But unlike my car, your soul doesn't have a gauge on it telling you that it's empty. I mean, if you were to run a marathon, your body would instantly tell you it's fatigued. You would know that pretty quickly. But the problem is, soul fatigue is much more subtle. Here are some of the indicators that you might have soul fatigue. First one is, things seem to bother you more than they should. 
So all of a sudden, your husband's gum-chewing reveals a huge character flaw in his life, right? I mean, it's just, things are just bothering you a little more than they should. Second one, it's hard to make up your mind about simple decisions. You just find yourself paralyzed, going, I don't know, should we do that? I'm not sure. You're just having a hard time making up your mind. A third indicator are impulses to eat, drink, or spend are harder to resist than they would be otherwise. I mean, I talk to people all the time who say, when I'm stressed, I just eat. Or I just have a compulsion to drink. And the self-control is just not the same. Here's another indicator for you. You just want to escape. Ever felt that way before? Ever thought, oh, I just want to escape. I just want to watch TV or move to a cabin. I just want to escape in some way. When you're in that mode, you are likely to choose something that will bring a short-term gain into your life, but it will come with a long-term cost. Psychologist Roy Baumeister wrote an article about a a couple that he was counseling. And this couple, they both worked full-time jobs, and when they got home at night, they were fighting about every trivial issue. And so Baumeister's advice to them was that they should get home from work sooner, which that seemed like strange advice to me. I mean, if you're fighting so much, why do you want to get home sooner? So you have more time to fight? I mean, it just didn't make sense. But what Baumeister discovered was this. They were both drained from the long hours at work. And so they were coming home and they had nothing left in the tank. And so every little thing was irritating them and annoying them. They had no energy for the relationship. It had all been spent at the office. They were running on empty And that's where many of us find ourselves today. You find yourself running a little bit on empty. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus visits the house of two sisters named Martha and Mary. And I want to read this story to you because I believe there's something here for those of us who might just be a little stressed out or overwhelmed these days. We'll pick it up in verse 38. It says this, As Jesus and his disciples, those are the people closest to him, were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Says she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She was cooking dinner. She was making a big dinner. So it says this, she came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits there while I do all the work? Tell her to help me. I want to pause here and help you feel the emotion of this story. Because if you don't know this story, if you've never heard it before or you don't know how it ends, my guess is that you're sitting here going, yes, that is totally unfair. One of the sisters is doing all the work and the other one's just sitting there at the feet of Jesus. And so you're thinking to yourself, how fair is it that one person's doing all the work when their family member isn't helping them out at all? Hypothetically speaking, This would be like, let's say you were cooking a Thanksgiving dinner for 12 of your relatives. And while you're doing this, your husband is just sitting on the couch watching the Lions game because he's got Matthew Stafford as his fantasy quarterback. I just made that story up, by the way. Don't read too much into that, all right? That was just hypothetical. But you would say to yourself, hang on a second. Jesus, tell him to help me. Tell her to help me. And so at this point in the story, I'm thinking that Jesus is going to go, geez, Mary, why don't you get in the kitchen and help out a little bit? But that's not what he says. Look at what it says in the next verse. It says, Martha, Martha, 
the Lord answered. You are worried and upset over all these details, cooking this big dinner, all that kind of thing. But there is really only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and I won't take it away from her. Jesus begins by saying, Martha, Martha. And it's important for you to note the emotion here, because when he repeats her name, it speaks to an intense emotion. But I want you to hear the correct tone. Because I don't think Jesus was going, Martha, Martha, what, what is wrong? It's not like that. I don't think Jesus is mad at her. And that's important because some of you are busybodies. You like to clean. You like to clean even when things don't need to be cleaned, do you? I'm a little bit like this. My wife will walk into the kitchen with a cup of water. She'll set it down. She'll turn around, and I'll grab it and put it in the dishwasher. And she'll turn back around and go, where's my cup? I wasn't done with that. And I'm like, well, it was sitting there for 13.4 seconds. You lost it, okay? That's just kind of how I am. And so when I hear Jesus scolding Martha here because she's doing all this work in the kitchen, there's part of me that gets a little bit defensive. And I want to fire back to Jesus, and I want to say, come on. It's not like she's watching videos of kittens breakdancing or something. I mean, she's cooking dinner. Not all of us can sit around and read books and listen to podcasts all day long. I mean, I'm a pastor, and I don't even get to do that. Somebody's got to do the dishes. Somebody's got to preheat the oven. Somebody's got to get dinner on the table so the Marys of this world can have their spiritual epiphanies. That's what I want to say to Jesus. <laughs> so it's important for me to note here that his tone is one of compassion. In fact, another translation says, Martha, my dear Martha. He wasn't mad at Martha, but he wanted her to see what Mary sees. He wanted to invite Martha into a new kind of life one that's less stressed and overwhelmed by all the things that she has to do. And I believe today that God wants to invite you into that kind of life as well, a life that's less stressed and overwhelmed by all the things that you have to do. In fact, if you would, for just a moment, why not insert your name where it says Martha, Martha? So in my case, it would say, Jason, Jason. You have all these other things that you're worried about, but there's really only one thing that matters. There's only one thing you should be concerned about. Jason, Jason, I want to invite you into a new kind of life, one where you're less stressed and less overwhelmed. And notice that I said the word less, because this side of heaven, you're never going to have a stress-free life, but you can begin to manage it. And it begins by asking two different questions. The first question to ask is this, is it a pace issue? How many of us here today get annoyed by slow people? I'd have you raise your hand to that, but some of you would be like, well, I don't know, sometime. And you'd just be so slow that I would get so annoyed with you. And so I'm going to move on and not have you raise your hand for that reason. See, I'm kind of a fast person. I talk fast. I tend to eat fast. I work fast. When I go to the grocery store, my goal is to get in and out as fast as possible. That's the goal. So when I get to the line, I don't just stand in a line. I analyze the line. How many people are in it? How many items do they have? Does the sales clerk look like a fast and competent person? <laughs> or are they slow and chatty? That's the most important factor, by the way. When my kids aren't getting ready for bed on time, I used to design mock races, where I'd say, let's see who can get their jammies on and brush their teeth the fastest. And they would just take off up the stairs. I love that. 
But then they would always fight about who won, and so I've had to stop doing that. But I would do it if I could. When I'm microwaving something, and the box says to microwave it for 45 seconds, no way. I'm not going to push four, and then five, and then start. Four, four, start. 44 seconds, boom, we're off to the races. 55 seconds, 60 seconds. I microwave things for a minute, 11 seconds, two minutes, 22 seconds. That's a little neurotic, I know. Okay, I'm out of the bell curve on that one. But here's what I've learned. Speed kills relationships. Hurry destroys your soul. I think that's what Jesus was trying to communicate to Martha. Because look at what he says to her. He says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations, by all the getting the big dinner ready that, she, that had to be made. Now, I want you to know that Martha's example here is not meant to be for every moment of every day. Jesus doesn't expect us to all become nuns and monks who just pray all the time. That's not what it's saying. But it is a reminder to keep the first things first, the most important things first. Because look at what Jesus says next. He says to Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details, but there is really only one thing worth being concerned about. Let me ask you, how many things are you worried and concerned about these days? When you came into church today, how many things would you say, you know what, I am worried about that, I am concerned about that? Might it be too many? A good analogy for this might be a game that I played when I was growing up as a kid, and it's a really simple game. It's just called Keep the Balloon in the Air. I was an only child, so this is a great game for me to play. didn't need anybody else to play along with me. But it's relatively an easy game to play when you've got one or two balloons up in the air. But what about when you add multiple balloons up in the air? How about then? It's a little bit more difficult to keep all those balloons up without having one of them drop and hit the ground. In his book, The Myth of Multitasking, author Dave Crenshaw says this. He says, we really don't multitask. We think that we do, but we're really not. Our brain cannot focus on two different things at the same time. He said, sure, you can do two things at the same time when there's no mental effort required. So you can watch TV and eat chips. You can go on a walk and talk at the same time. But you can't return an email and talk to your son at the same time. He said, we're not really multitasking. We're switch-tasking. We're switching from one task to the other. And some of us are very good at switching from one task to the other quickly. We call these people women. <laughs> but the truth is, can't tell if it's the men or the women who are clapping for that. <laughs> Probably the women. But the truth is that you really don't multitask, which means that you have to be willing to set priorities. You have to be willing to say no. I used to not understand this, but now I think that I do. If I try to return every email, if I go to every work meeting, if I go out to coffee with every person who asks for just a few minutes of my time, I may not have time to write a great message on the weekend or raise my kids the way that I want to. And the exact same is true for you as well. If you go to every work function, if you allow other people to set your priorities for your life, you might miss out on the unique plan that God has for your life. In his book, Crazy Busy, author Kevin DeYoung says this. He says, we don't want to disappoint hundreds of people that we've never met. That's the problem. 
So, he says, we work all night and we ruin the evening of the few people who depend on us every day. Here's the solution to this. You have to be willing to let a few balloons hit the ground. For example, my son Hudson's been taking piano lessons this past year. And he's supposed to practice 15 minutes a day every day of the week. And we're just too busy for that. And so he ends up practicing about three or four times a week. Well, recently his piano teacher scolded my wife a little bit for this. And Sarah was feeling super guilty about it. But I said, Sarah, it's okay. I'm glad that Hudson's piano teacher wants him to be the next Beethoven. I mean, that's what we're paying her for, right? But let's review our priorities for our kids. God is first. So we want them to be in church every week. We want them to have a time every day where they can pray and read the Bible to themselves so they have a relationship with God outside of church. That's number one. I said, then it's their education. They go to school all day long. That takes a lot of mental energy. Then they come home and they have some homework to do. After that, Hudson loves to play sports, and we value our family time. We value being able to do something as a family and creating family memories together. And then, oh, by the way, let him go down the basement and just goof around with his brother and blow off some steam once in a while. I said, piano is someplace after that. And I'm not going to let the piano teacher set my priorities for me. Now, again, I'm glad that she's passionate about that. I would actually be bothered if she wasn't. But that is a balloon that I am willing to let hit the ground. Let me ask you, what balloons in your life are you willing to let hit the ground? You might want to talk about that on the car ride home today. Because it's really different for every person. I mean, I've talked to some people who say, you know, I, I don't need to have a clean house at this point in my life. In this season, that's a balloon that I'm willing to let hit the ground. Then I'll talk to other people and they'll say, I come home and if the house is messy, I am so stressed out. That's a balloon that I feel like I want to keep up in the air. Now what's difficult about this is if you and your spouse disagree. That's when you got to talk and you got to communicate and you get make, have to make an allowance for their feelings on that issue. But what is it for you? What are the balloons that you're saying, you know what, i got to keep that one up in the air? My job, my marriage, my kids, my relationship with God. And then what are the other balloons that you're saying, you know what, it's okay if that one hits the ground once in a while. For some of you, the balloon that might need to hit the ground is social outings. You may not go to every Christmas party. You may say, you know what, we're not going to go to that one over there. We're just going to stay home. We need a night to relax. We need a night to spend together as a family. For some of you, it might be a part-time job. You say, you know what, I like doing that on the side, but it's not the primary way that I make an income. And so if once in a while I don't do the best and, and that balloon hits the ground, that, that's okay. Some of you might say, it's my house, it's my yard. But what are those balloons that you're willing to let hit the ground from time to time? And you're just okay with that. One of the things you need to know is this. Every time you say no to one thing, you get to say yes to another. I was listening to a message by Pastor Bill Hybels about this recently, and he was talking about how he was counseling this young dad on getting vacations on the calendar. This young dad was in his late 20s, and Hybels was telling him, you got to get him on the calendar or else you won't do it as a family. And so Hybels goes, wait a minute, let me, let me just show you. So he reaches in his briefcase and he pulls out his day planner. And this young dad who's in his late 20s goes, awesome. Hybels goes, I haven't shown you anything yet. And the young dad said, I've just never seen a paper calendar before. <laughs> a little bit of a generation gap going on here. 
Now, I'm a planner, and you may not be a planner. You may have a different personality, and that's perfectly fine. But here's the deal. We all have 86,400 seconds in a day. It's your most valuable commodity. And so whether you're a planner or not, you want to use your time the way that God wants you to use your time, the way that you want to use your time. And so here's what I do. I try to plan out the year by planning out our vacations. And part of this is what I say no to. When I say no to one thing, it allows me to say yes to the other. So I only do two speaking engagements outside of Eagle Brook every year. Our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, given me some really wise counsel on this. Because if I do more than two, then I have to start using my vacation time, and that would mean no vacation time with my family. And I'm just not going to do that. So I say no to that so I can say yes to this. I plan out my week. I plan out the meetings and the practices and everything, and I try to figure out how am I going to use my time. Now, here are two things that I've learned in doing this. First of all, you have to be okay with interruptions. Sometimes people go, but this was my plan, and this is interrupting me. Well, what if God has a different plan for your day? Some of the great joys in life are when you say, you know what, I wasn't planning on that, but God's going to use me to help that other person. It's one of the great joys. You've got to be open to an interruption. But then secondly, what I've learned is I have to plan out my rest time. Otherwise, my pace is just up here all the time. So I plan out my time with God. When I'm going to the office, I shower, I get to work. First thing I do is open up my Bible. I read a chapter and I pray about what I've just read. When I'm home on my day off, I grab my Bible first thing, I go sit in the same chair, I plan out time with God. I otherwise wouldn't do it. But my soul needs that. I plan out a date night with my wife. We need that in our relationship. I will plan out rest time to exercise or play basketball or just to read because I need that. Some of us right now are so stressed out and overwhelmed because your pace is just up here. You have all these different balloons that you're trying to keep up in the air at the same time and the answer is you need to let a few of them just hit the ground. You need to prioritize your life and say, here are the ones I'm keeping up and here are the ones that I'm okay letting drop. Is it a pace issue for you? Second question you need to ask yourself is this. Is it a trust issue? So for some of you, it's a pace issue, but for others of you, it's really not. And most of us will all think it is a pace issue. We'll think, oh, I'm just so busy. But if you're watching whole seasons of Netflix shows, it's probably not a pace issue. It's probably more of a trust issue. Because look at what Mary was doing while Martha was in the kitchen cooking up a storm. Look at what it says she was doing. It says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. She was listening to the voice of Jesus. A few years ago, I heard a story about an experienced spelunker. A spelunker is a person who explores caves and caverns, and he had discovered this beautiful cavern that was just gorgeous. And so he grabbed his friend Danny, and he said, hey, I want to show you this cave. It's, it's just incredible. And so Danny said, well, that sounds pretty cool. And so they started to crawl in through these caves, and pretty soon the passageway started to get smaller. And so now Danny's kind of crouched over, and then pretty soon he's having to crawl through this cave. Then, to Danny's horror, it got even tighter. In order to get through this small opening in the rock, he had to lie flat on his back with his arms at his side and push his way through using his feet. Then it got even worse. Whenever Danny would breathe in and inhale, his lungs would fill up and he would get stuck. 
So he would have to breathe out at the same time that he was pushing his way through this cave. I get claustrophobic just telling this story. Danny started to panic. He's like, I'm stuck. I am gonna die in this cave. I can't go back. I can't go forward. I'm stuck. I'm gonna die in this cave. And he started to panic. His guide heard him. And so he called out to Danny. He said, Danny, Danny, I need you to listen to me. Don't listen to the voices that are in your head right now. If you listen to those, you're gonna go crazy. He said, I need you to listen to my voice. I've been through these caves before. I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna fail you but I need you to listen to my voice. Danny died in that cave. Just kidding. (laughs) Some of you are like, whoo, I didn't like that story. Little boy dying in the cave. No, 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 he got through the cave, he saw the cavern, it was beautiful, beyond anything he had ever imagined before. But here's my point. When you get stuck in life, Whose voice do you listen to? Whose voice do you allow to guide you and to comfort you? Some of us listen to the voices in our head, and it's why you're getting a little bit stuck in life. Because listen to what it says that Mary was doing. Again, it says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. She was listening to the voice of Jesus. That was the voice that she was tuned into. In fact, for my money, verse 40 contains the most important word in this entire story, and it's distracted. It says that Martha was distracted by all these preparations that she had to make. In other words, Martha wasn't doing anything wrong. She was just distracted from what was most important. And that's just it. Sometimes we have so many things going on in our life, and we get distracted from what's most important. Around this season, we think, you know, I got to get all these gifts, and I got to cook this dinner, and I got to make all these preparations. And we're really distracted from the most important thing in our life. In fact, if I were to have someone follow you around for a day, and they reported back to me on what's the most important thing to do every day, what do you think they would say? Would some of them come back and go, hey, you got to watch these TV shows every day. It's just important. You got to do it. Would they come back and go, Facebook, Scroll through Facebook, like different pictures, watch some videos, even if they're not that important, just you gotta be on Facebook every single day. What would they say is the most important thing to do? I mean, we all have plenty to do. You have plenty to do, I have plenty to do. But how important is it to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ and to hear his voice speaking into your life? As I mentioned, I try to do this every morning. I try to wake up and I try to read a chapter from the Bible And then I journal or I pray about what I've just read. And let me tell you something. That one practice has given me more peace than anything else in my life. Anything else in my life. Because I need to hear the voice of Jesus. I need to sit at his feet. Not the voices in my head. Not the voices of our culture or of the people around me. I need to listen to his voice. Pastor Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a person who isn't. If you feel like your life is falling apart a little bit right now, and it's not because of some dramatic circumstance, but it's just because of a slow issue in your life, could it be because you are listening to the voices in your head 
instead of listening to the voice of Jesus Christ. I mean, your external life is never going to be perfect, but you can become the kind of person who has the interior strength to deal with it all. But you don't get that just chugging through your day on fear and caffeine. You get it when you sit at the feet of Jesus. And this is where things get a little counterintuitive because this message is about people who are feeling like I have too much to do and now I'm giving you another thing to do. And so some of you are going, well, great, now I have to add time with God into my already busy schedule. And I get that. Whenever I miss my time with God in the morning, it's because I get to work and I panic. I go, oh, I gotta get this message done this morning and then I've got meetings all afternoon and I just don't have time to like read the Bible and pray because I got more important things I've gotta get done. And that's just not true. There is nothing more important than knowing Jesus Christ in your life. That's why Martin Luther once said this. He said, I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Now, three hours might be an exaggeration. I spend about 30 minutes to 45 minutes. If you're just starting out, I would say 10 to 15 minutes would be great. But I love the idea of this quote. There is a God factor to your time. That when you will put God first in your time and you will spend time sitting at his feet, God multiplies your efforts. You will actually get more done and you will be less stressed out in the process. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew 6. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given to you. In other words, if you will just focus on this one thing, seeking God, then everything else is going to fall into place. If you will worry about this one thing, seeking God, then you will have nothing else to worry about in your life. Here's an exercise for you to do this week. If you have a moment where you're just getting stressed out and overwhelmed, I want you to take a step back and just think for a moment. I could spend this next hour, I could spend the rest of this day stressed out and overwhelmed and worried about all the things I need to get done. You could do that, but it's not gonna get you anywhere. Pastor Matt Chandler says that worry is like trying to travel in a rocking chair. I mean, that's an image, isn't it? Someone says, where, where are you going? I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to your house. Well, you're in a rocking chair. Yeah, but I'm moving, man. I'm moving. No, but you're not getting anywhere. That's what worry is. Worry is moving, but it's not doing you any good. That's why Jesus said, can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? No, they cannot. And so in that moment where you're stressed out and you're worried this week, why not take a step back and say, you know what, Jesus, I want to invite you into this moment. I want to live this next hour. I want to live this day with you. I want to start out the day reading the Bible and praying and sitting at your feet and listening to your voice. And then when I find myself stressed out, God, I want to just pray and say, God, come into this moment. Give me the strength. Help me to rely upon you. We're going to close out today's service a little differently. We're going to close out with a song. And it's a song that we wrote here at Eaglebrook Church for our church. But it's a song that simply says, God, you have never failed me. No, not once. And for the first part of this song, I want to encourage you just to remain seated. And as we sing the song, I want you to have a moment with Jesus. Would you just take a moment, maybe close your eyes, lean forward if you want to, and just talk to God in the quietness of your mind? Some of us, it's been a long time since we talked to God like that. It's been a long time since we had a moment where we just said to God, here are the things going on in my life, and I invite you to speak to me. Invite him to speak into your life that say, God, I want to hear your voice. 
And God may speak something to you in that moment. You may have a thought and you may just know that's God speaking into my life. And then as the song starts to end, we're going to stand you. And this will be a moment to say, God, you have never failed me. Not once. And let this be a moment for you to give your stress and your worry and your anxiety to him. And to say, God, if I seek you, if I put you first, you are never going to fail me. As you leave today, there's going to be some tables in the lobby that have a Bible reading plan on it. If you've never read the Bible much before, or maybe if you have, but you just want a plan, grab one of those on the way out. Just give you a short scripture to read for the next three weeks. Get into it. Spend some time sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his voice because he will not fail you.
Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for making a way. Thank you for making a way possible for us to have a relationship with your son, Jesus. And we pray, God, as we go about this Christmas season, as we feel those times of stress and worry, may we be a people that hand those things off to you. We want to listen to your voice. We want to receive guidance from you. And we want to be a people who live out a peace, a confidence, knowing that you've got it all under control and you have made it possible for us to experience that peace this Christmas. Thank you, God, for making a way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming, everyone. If you'd like prayer, we'll have a prayer team down in front. Otherwise, we'll see you this week for Christmas services at Eagle Brook. God bless everyone.